Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Curies. Only about 5% of medical doctors in the U.S. are black, despite years of efforts to increase that number. But the good news is there's been a record jump in recent years in the number of first-year medical students who are black. Here to talk about efforts to boost diversity in the physician workforce is Nita Gombukomba, National President of the Student National Medical Association, which has been fighting for equity and diversity in the medical field for almost 60 years. Regular listeners may recall that SNMA Executive Director Bridget Hudson was a guest on Raise the Line in July. Nita is currently pursuing an MD degree at the University of Maryland School of Medicine and just earned her MBA at the Loyola University, Maryland Selinger School of Business. She plans to be a urologist who will serve patients locally and globally. We're very happy to have you on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. So we always start first by trying to figure out what people want to highlight about their personal background and professional background. In your case, what got you interested in the idea of pursuing a medical degree? So I was actually born and raised in Zimbabwe in Harare, the capital city. So I spent about 16 years of my life there. And that's really where I got my initial exposure and interest in, in, in medicine from. So just seeing a lot of individuals kind of suffering from a variety of medical conditions. But unfortunately, you know, our healthcare system there is really unsustainable, unable to kind of keep up with the need. And so that's really where I got that initial exposure from. So I really wanted to get into the medical field to, to help people, especially those who are coming from sort of under-resourced populations and backgrounds. And did you come right from Zimbabwe to the States to, to the University of Maryland? So when we moved from Zimbabwe, I started out at community college in, uh, in Maryland, and then I did the rest of my bachelor's degree at Lynchburg College in Virginia. And then I came back to Maryland, did about two and a half or so years doing malaria research at Uniform Services University. And then I started medical school in Baltimore, where I'm a fourth year now. Wow. Amazing. And the MBA, why, why pursue an MBA? What are you hoping that that skill set gives you in your other work as a physician? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say the the initial interest in business, kind of the initial seed, my, my parents, I would say, probably planted that in me. My dad was an automotive engineer back in Zimbabwe, and my mom was a, an educator who used to train chefs. So eventually they started their own businesses, and this, this was back before Zimbabwe's economy kind of went haywire a little bit. And so um, even now, my mom owns a small cleaning company that I help her out with, uh, with you know, doing some jobs every now and then. So that initial seed kind of has always been there. Um, but for me, what really drove me kind of to pursue the MBA and sort of the relationship uh, with medicine is that as I was going through my clinical rotations, I noticed that we often had patients who had challenging kind of conditions and who needed, you know, some sort of additional support. And the challenges were sometimes we had some administrative pressures in terms of, you know, the, the hospital only had so many beds and, you know, were kind of full and so on and so forth. And so that made it very difficult to uh, fully care for, for these patients as much as we would have liked to. So I noticed that also sometimes when these decisions are being made, they're kind of, you know, made at a higher level, administrative level. And often physicians are not at the table. They're not, they don't have a seat at the table. So we can't advocate for our patients and we can't advocate for ourselves as physicians. And so one skill set that's particularly important for being able to do that is having sort of that business knowledge and that understanding of how, you know, kind of leadership works, how sort of, uh, you know, administration and management works. And so that's really sort of what pushed me to, do, to doing that. Yeah. And we'll come back to that theme of, of leadership in a minute. But first, I just have to know what it is like. I mean, how do you pull off 
getting a medical degree <laughs> and an MBA at the same time. It's astounding. Uh, you know, it, I think it's part craziness, absolutely, and then a little bit of lack of sleep. Um, but really, just uh, <laughs> so. So for me, it, it ended up being a more sustainable because I actually took a year off between my third and fourth year to do a one-year MBA. So it was really nice because it gave me the opportunity just to focus on the MBA. For me, I thought if I could get through three years of medical school, I can get through an MBA, which, which fortunately I was able to to do that. Just finished a few months ago, so now I'm 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 back in my fourth year, and so I'm just I'm just happy to be able to to wrap everything up and and be done with it. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you very much. As if all of that wasn't enough, you're also uh, involved in the leadership of the Student National Medical Association. And I'm just wondering um, if you can talk a little bit about why you were drawn to getting involved and how the SNMA impacts the experience of medical students like you. Yeah, absolutely. So I got involved with the SNMA really when I was interviewing for medical school. So before then, I didn't have any exposure to the SNMA at all. You know, I went to community college there, no real SNMA exposure there. Even when I transferred, kind of went to an institution where I was one of only a few black students there and we didn't have a chapter um, at, uh, at my college as well. So when I was interviewing for medical school, that's when I really started meeting a lot of SNMA members who, you know, some hosted me at, in their homes when I was interviewing, giving me some interview tips along the way and so on. And so just getting that sense of, that initial sense of community really sort of drew me to wanting to learn more about the organization. And so as I learned more about the organization, I learned more about the mission, which really is about, um, you know, supporting current and future underrepresented minority medical students, addressing the needs of underserved communities, and increasing the number of clinically excellent, culturally competent, and socially conscious physicians. So all of that, you know, sounded great to me, especially somebody who was, an, you know, an immigrant, uh, it's sort of an other. Um, and so that, that initial sense of community really drew me there. And so when I was um, a first year, really got involved in my chapter. Then as a second year, I was elected chapter president. In my third year, I served as associate regional director, so helping to oversee a lot of the chapters in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. And last year was my national or president-elect year, and so this year I'm serving as the president. So really that sense of community and that commitment to service, not just to uh, the medical students that we serve, but also to the communities that uh, our medical students are in was really, really important for me. And as president, what's your agenda? What have you been trying to accomplish? So we have a variety of initiatives that we're that we're focusing on, but uh, you know, if I had to kind of pick sort of three things that I would like for you know people to kind of think about is number one on the topic of addressing you know kind of health disparities, we've really been uh, sort of pushing the focus on uh, health disparities related to um, you know housing instability and really thinking about how housing instability also doubles as healthcare instability and uh, the you know other associated health disparities that are related to that. We've been doing a lot of um, sort of refining and revamping our um, community service protocol and just making sure that our members are better aware of our month-to-month kind of service initiatives look like and making sure that all the work that they're doing at a local level is aligned with what we're doing on a national level as well. On the side of academic uh, and professional development for our members, doing a lot of uh, work with our specialty interest groups and a lot of academic initiatives to make sure that our members are better prepared at every stage of their training. So from first year all the way through fourth year, whether they're an MD student or a DO student, just making resources as available as possible for all of our members. And then on the leadership level, uh, really tapping into those leadership skills early. And so we've been doing a fantastic job with our National Leadership Institute and really our, our regional 
leadership institutes as well, which serve as opportunities for members to to meet members of the board, whether that's on a national level or regional level, but also to to learn more about sort of uh, leadership skills that they can really take away and be able to kind of implement even as medical students. So I'm excited to continue on these initiatives and the variety of other initiatives that we have in the SNMA to really uh, really impact our members. Yeah. So on leadership, you know, when Bridget was on the show, she was talking about obviously the goal of achieving diversity in the physician workforce, but also among the leadership ranks in healthcare, hospital presidents, and so on. So how do you go about that? And what's the challenge there, do you think? Um, What's the extra effort that needs to be made maybe to show people what that path is or get them to even perceive themselves as belonging there? Absolutely. That's a really great question. And I I think it's the multi-layered challenge that I think requires a multi-layered approach. Number one, it starts with medical education. And one of the other aspects that sort of drove me to the NDA is I noticed that we don't really get leadership training in medical school. So you learn how to, you know, sort of treat conditions, you know what is normal, what is abnormal, how to, you know, prescribe what medication, side effects, et cetera. But you don't learn about um, leadership. You don't learn about what are the skills that are required to um, not just be able to have a positive influence on other people, but to sort of make large-scale strategic decisions um, that that can impact yourself and, you know, your patient. So the business training helps with that, but obviously not everybody needs to get an MBA, but I do think that everyone who is in medical school should get leadership training at some point or another. So that's sort of one place where it can start. The other place it can start as well is that even with organizations like SNMA, you know, like our partner organizations, you know, AMSA, LMSA, PAMSA, and so on, and uh, we all do work like this in terms of making sure that our members get leadership training, at least from us, and so that uh, they have these skills, not just to join our, you know, leadership ranks in our organization, but they can actually take these skills away and be able to apply them in medical school when they graduate and go on and become physicians who can advocate for themselves and their communities. So really, it's a lot of early exposure throughout medical education, and even in residency, and even as young attendings. I think there's an element of continuing to, the same way we get continuing education, part of that education needs to be leadership. And so that's all going to be very important. Yeah. Have you been able to connect with role models, you know, along those lines? And what advice do they have for you? So it's been really interesting because I've had a, I've had a couple of role models along the way throughout my journey. From a career kind of perspective, I'm going into surgery. And, uh, you know, someone who's really important to me is my mentor, Dr. Shelby Stewart, who's a cardiothoracic surgeon um, at the University of Maryland and also a black woman. And so, you know, seeing her as a thoracic surgeon, who is someone who's kind of higher up in her department, seeing how she continues to engage with students, it was very, you know, very important for me to kind of see that representation there. Um, throughout my work with the SNMA, I've met, um, you know, an extraordinary sort of group of uh, leaders who are now, you know, physicians kind of advocating in their field as well. You know, Dr. Cameron Webb, um, who's in the White House sort of COVID-19 policy advisor, actually used to be SNMA president, have met him. Dr. Cameron Matthews um, has done a lot of great work who sort of leads the VA. All those are individuals that I've kind of met along the way. And even in my role as the student trustee of the National Medical Association as well, you know, I've met great leaders, Dr. Rachel Villanueva, Dr. Prislan Pasi, Dr. Garth Clooney. Um, all those are leaders within the NMA who do, you know, a lot of great work. Um, and their advice for me really is, number one, try to get sleep as much <laughs> whenever you can. Uh, but number two, you know, sort of recognizing what your strengths are and being able to lean on those, but also being able to lean on other people and learning from other people. 
and realizing that true leadership doesn't happen in a vacuum. Part of the joys of leadership is knowing that uh, you won't be doing it on your own, but it requires you, the leader, to be cognizant of where your own shortcomings are and where you're going to need support and being able to you know, sort of accept support um, as best as you're able to. So as you learn more about health systems and um, become aware of all the various nooks and crannies in administration, do you see yourself in a particular role at this point, in a leadership role? Yeah, so it, it's interesting because I see myself in, in a variety of you know roles that I can play. So depending on where I go after residency, that will direct uh, which which leadership role I end up taking. If I end up going into private practice, perhaps I'll find myself as a leader of you know some kind of private group, private system there, um, but still being able to advocate for patients and being able to advocate even for physicians in that system. Um, I can also certainly foresee myself continuing my work in leadership within the National Medical Association, so continuing to to, you know, to lead there, whatever that's going to look like. Um, and if I find myself in academia as well, you know, being able to lead not just in my department, but perhaps in the hospital system as well. So really lots of different ways uh, that I can find myself continuing to lead, but certainly, you know, the sky is the limit and the, the future is bright there as I think about it. Oh, no doubt. I wanted to talk about COVID for a second. I mean, what an extraordinary time to be a medical student, right? <laughs> oh, in the midst yeah. of all of this. But anyway, you referred earlier to healthcare disparities, and it's obviously been a very hot topic. I'm wondering if you're seeing anything happening that gives you optimism that people are actually making progress on this or, or are you seeing a lot of talk but not a lot of action it's a little bit of two sides to this on the one hand there's, there's a part of recognizing the health disparities that sort of covid has helped to expose as detrimental as the pandemic has been that's one of the very few good things that has come out of the pandemic for us to realize sort of that uh, we really haven't made very much progress as it relates to health disparities and you know sort of the effect on communities of color uh, the other part of it is the grassroots work that a lot of physicians have been doing. I would say the challenge has been that a lot of the physicians that are doing the grassroots work do happen to be physicians of color. So certainly it adds to the minority tax that already exists. Um, but the good thing is we have organizations like the National Medical Association where physicians have really been able to kind of work and partner with local communities um, to educate about health disparities that exist in making sure that uh, individuals, especially in under-resourced communities, are connected to the resources and the kind of care that they need them to be able to be better, whether they are, you know, have been affected by COVID-19 um, or not. And then we have uh, other initiatives that the physicians of color have been able uh, kind of to create. So Dr. Ayla Stanford you know, founded the Center for Health Equity, um, which is part of the uh, Black Doctors COVID-19 Consortium, and where, um, you know, her organization focuses not just on, um, you know, sort of COVID-19 um, care and addressing disparities for people in Philadelphia, but sort of expanding um, that level of care to, uh, you know, really sort of be holistic in the approach um, as it relates to addressing health disparities. So I'm, I'm encouraged by the work that I'm seeing, but certainly there's still more work to be done. And I think there's more work to be done, especially on a policy level, because that's where I would say we haven't really seen a lot of shifts. I think we're seeing a lot of community work, which is great, a lot of partnerships, which is great, but policy um, is really going to be very key here because that changes how, um, you know, some of these decisions are made on an, on an administrative level. It changes how we're able to, you know, sort of care for patients and it makes us better able to care for patients and really to sort of move the needle forward on eliminating health disparities. Hmm. So as you may know, Osmosis is an education company, and we always like to ask our guests to give us some direction on what we should be focusing on. So is there a gap in knowledge, something you really wish people would know, whether 
it applies to medical students or the general public, and you would say osmosis, that would be great if you could do a video on X. What would that be? Oh, yeah. I, I, I would probably have a, a whole laundry list. <laughs> but, but for, but for, but for I got time. time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would say, you know, I think, I think it would be really good for the public to know a little bit better about not just what it takes to go through, through medical school, but to really learn, um, you know, about uh, the nuances of medical education, the kind of information that sort of medical students are receiving. And part of that being related to health disparities as well. So, for example, um, in medical school, often we don't see a lot of images of people of color when we're learning about, you know, dermatology and skin conditions. But we might see images of people of color if we're learning about, you know, something that's particularly negative. So even something as small as that, um, you'd be surprised to learn that, you know, students of color will pick that up. Um, but some of our peers won't really notice that or even think that's a problem. So I think that's the area for us to, you know, to continue to have discussions about that. And uh, I think the other thing, too, that's going to be really important for medical students and for the public is to really think about sort of the sustainability of, um, you know, sort of the cost of healthcare. I think that's very important, especially as it relates to drug access and pharmaceuticals as well, because I think that things are a little crazy, um, as you can imagine. And so I think that uh, patients and students as well would benefit from learning sort of what the tools are available for them to kind of have better support and for them to better understand that system and sort of how drug pricing and things like that work, um, especially for medical students so they can better advocate uh, you know, for themselves and for their patients. The other advice we always ask our guests is to provide advice to medical students. You are one, but I was thinking, you know, you're a fourth year. So what would you say to people contemplating medical school or in their first year or so about getting the most out of that experience? For folks contemplating medical school, I would say that as challenging as it is, and it is challenging, there's certainly no no illusions about that. I think it's still a great career, and I think it's a, it's one that has a lot of positive impact, um, especially if you kind of focus on sort of the end goal. Um, often it's very easy to kind of get into the weeds and the nitty gritty of the work that you're going to be doing. But if you kind of think about the big picture and the larger sort of impact that you want to have, that can really kind of help to, to move you along, especially in those difficult times. Uh, so that's advice I would give for people coming into medicine and for first years as well. And for those kind of in their preclinical years, I would say kind of think about um, utilizing your time as effectively as possible. And um, I would say giving yourself as much rest as effective, as much as possible as well. Because as you go through the clinical years, you'll find that your responsibilities will shift a little bit. And so uh, the amount of time kind of that you have will shift a little bit. So certainly don't ever neglect your relationships, friends, family, you know, even with yourself. You know, self-care is very important. So just making sure that you, you know, take the time to prioritize the things that are important. And, you know, at the end of the day, medical school isn't going anywhere, but some of those relationships might. Um, so really just, you know, just thinking about that as well is going to be very important. But there's a, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, so <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Yeah, but get some sleep along the way, right? Indeed. Well, listen, this has been really educational and enjoyable, and I really appreciate you making time to join us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. And best of luck. I'm Michael Caris. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Mm-hmm.